And so I thought it appropriate today to kind of ask the question from the other side. And uh, I wonder what would you say if God asked you, you know, uh, what do you think I, God, want for Christmas from you? All God wants for Christmas is. If you had to finish that sentence, how do you think you would finish it? Um, We saw that the things that we want the most, when we kind of looked at this seriously, all I really want for Christmas, we saw that the things we want the most are really the things that God designed Christmas to give us. We want to be free from fear. And so the angel says the first part of the message that comes from God about Christmas is fear not. Uh, Jesus came so that we could live with reduced fear, right? Uh, we want to be genuinely happy. Almost anybody who asks, say, hey, what do you really want in life? Most everybody says one uh, way, shape, or form, I really just want to be happy. And God says, I designed Christmas to be good news of great joy for all people. And, and then, you know, wouldn't it be great to be saved from everything that's wrong in life, including death? And uh, there's a lot that's wrong with this life. And so God says, I'm sending you a Savior unto you. Is born today a Savior who can save you from everything that's wrong, uh, even death, right? And then finally, we saw that, you know, everybody wants peace. We want to be at peace with God. We want to be at peace with ourselves. We want to be at peace with other people. And uh, God said, you know, that I've designed Christmas to bring peace to you. And eventually, world peace will happen when uh, Christ comes back again. And so... I'm sorry, there's no uh, children's program this morning, only up to age five. And you look old, older. (laughs) Sorry about that. So what do you think, if if you were to kind of answer this question and God said, you know, um, all I really want for Christmas is... And I want to just start with uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You know, the Bible says in verse 15... um, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, his inexpressible gift. Uh, For God, Christmas is his gift to us, and it's inexpressible. Uh, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This sentence only has eight words in it, but those eight words point to a reality beyond the ability of words to describe Thanks be to God for this indescribable or unexpressible gift that he's given to us. Uh, It's beyond the ability of human beings to actually describe or express all that God has given to us in his Christmas gift to us in Christ. It points to a gift which if you have it, if you have this gift from God, it makes you uh, richer and happier than any possible gift you could ever receive on this earth. Because it comes all the way from heaven. It's God's inexpressible gift to us at Christmas time. And God's gifts are wrapped up in the person of Jesus. And uh, his gifts are of such worth that they defy the ability to express what they mean to us. I actually uh, received a gift from a friend of mine <clears throat> this Christmas. It came in a big box, right? And it was like that. And uh, And uh, when I opened it up, inside of it were a whole bunch of gifts, like a dozen gifts, all wrapped, uh, all picked out by him, and uh, all wrapped by him, because I know his wife would have done a much better job. But all of those uh, gifts 
were related to this hat. This was one of the gifts. And uh, he knew that I would, and then he said, you can't open this except on Christmas morning. And he knows that all my family are Giants fans. And so, um, you know, he had me open this in front of them. And uh, he knew that I would hear about it and so on and so forth, right? But I want to suggest to you this morning um, that what if I had uh, received that gift and uh, just ignored it? Or what if I forgot about it? What if I, you know, put it off to the side and Christmas is busy and, and all of that and we just forgot about the gift that he sent? Well, I think he would have been hurt, maybe even angry, and uh, I would have been a loser, right? Now, my team's already a loser this year, but <laughs> I would have been a loser and so forth. And so I want to suggest to you that all God really wants for Christmas is for you to accept his gift and unwrap it and discover what he's put for us in the person of Jesus Christ. All God really wants for Christmas is for us to accept his gift and then unwrap it. I mean, imagine celebrating Christmas like most people do and never unwrap the best gift. Going through all the motions and celebrating all kinds of things, but never unwrapping the very best gift of all, the gift that God sent to us at Christmas time. And so I want to suggest a few uh, of the gifts that God put in the person of Christ. And, you know, we could be here all afternoon just going through the Bible. I just took a concordance and I uh, went to the word in. And every time I found in Christ or in Jesus, just kind of wrote that down. And you could just keep going and going and going. All that ours, but I'm just going to pick a few from Colossians. Um, first of all, I would suggest to you that God's gift is inexpressible and different from any other gift you could possibly receive because God himself is in this gift. God himself is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bibles open, Colossians uh, chapter 1 and verse 19, it's on page 983 and the Bible's there in the seats. Colossians 1.19 says this, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's the gift that God sent us in Jesus. And in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, um, same thing. See to it that nobody takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What a gift it is to know the truth about God. What a gift it is to not have to speculate, to not have to imagine to not have to come up with ideas on your own about what God is like or what he says or who he is, but that God has sent us in the person of Jesus the fullness of himself. You can know the truth about God and about what he's like and about what's important to him and, and so on. Stop falling for ideas and traditions and speculation about God that don't come from Jesus. We can know the absolute truth. How big of a gift is it to know the truth about God and to even be able to know him on a personal level? How big of a gift is that? You don't have to wonder. You don't have to speculate. We just have to unwrap the gift to find out who God really is. His name is 
Jesus' name was Emmanuel, like we read this morning, which means God with us. And he enables us to know what he's really all about, to catch, catch a glimpse of his glory by looking at Jesus. You know, um, <clears throat> I want to suggest the deepest meaning of all of creation, of all of human experience, is the glory of God. The glory of God. Um, everything exists to show off the glory of God. The, the chief end of man, right, is to glorify God and to enjoy him um, forever. Uh, what's messed up is that people have exchanged the glory of God for much lesser things. People get wowed over the creation instead of the creator. And the creation was simply designed to point to the creator. In Romans, uh, the Bible talks about this. Paul talks about this to the uh, Roman church, and, and he says, here's the problem. Uh, verse 23, people exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Um, and because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creation, the creature, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. How great is it to be able to know the truth about God and to be able to embrace that truth on a personal level? And uh, we put our trust, you know, in people. We put our trust in uh, money. We put our trust in uh, everything but God because we think we can't really know him that well. And when we get let down and when we don't have peace and when we don't live with the kind of life that God describes that he uh, created us for, we wonder why. But instead, if we'd look to Jesus, the Bible tells us that we would experience the reality of the glory of God, and we'd see how great he really is, and we would be satisfied in him. <clears throat> One of the uh, passages in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4 says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. For the God who said, let the sun and the moon and the stars be created. That God, for the God who created the universe, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God comes into our hearts and enables us to see in Jesus the very glory of God for which the whole universe um, exists. Uh, what a great thing this is. If you back up to verses 3 and 4, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. God has allowed us to be able to see his glory in the person of Christ. The whole fullness of deity is wrapped up in the person of Christ. You know, uh, most people know uh, Psalm 19:1. the heavens declare the glory of God, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. Sometimes if you think about this, why, you know, why, why does the universe exist? The Hubble Space Telescope can see 12 billion light years away from us. 12 billion light years. And right here in our own solar system, there are stars that are 5 million times brighter than our sun. Why all that wasted space? Why the universe? Why all that wasted energy going on? What is that all about? Why the heavens declare the glory of God? 
What's the reason for all of that uh, wasted space just to house this tiny planet of humanity called Earth? The simple reason is to make the point that it's not about us. It's about him. It's not about our glory. It's about his glory. It's about him. It's about his glory. Back in the Old Testament, Isaiah, you know, there's a number of places we could go, but uh, God asked this question, verse 25 and 26, to whom will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created all these stars, who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the um, greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Who does that, God says? Who, who are you going to compare to me? You know? Why do the heavens exist? The, the creation exists for the glory of God, to display the glory of God. Uh, chapter 42 of Isaiah, uh, verses uh, 8 and 9. I am the Lord, that's my name. My glory I give to no other. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. New things I now declare before they come up. I'm telling you of them, right? Verse 43, 5, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I'll say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Not just the creation, but you and I. Created to display the glory of God. God wants us to know him. He wants us to know how cool he is. He wants us to know how great he is, how awesome he is. And it's put all his fullness in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, whom I'm, uh, I formed and made, God says. God does not exist to make a big deal about you and me. We exist to make a big deal about him. We were created for his glory. We were created to point to him, Right? And uh, what a great thing that is uh, when, when we take advantage of it. Again, back in um, 2 Corinthians, in the third chapter, uh, the Apostle Paul writes to this church, and, and uh, he talks about people whose minds have been hardened, people who have not bothered to unpack or unwrap the gifts that God has put in the person of Jesus. And verse 14, but their minds were hardened they became hardened, right? And uh, for to this day, when uh, they read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the same veil remains uh, unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. It's only through Christ that we can see the truth about God. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. People are always like, ah, I don't want to be controlled. I want to be free. You know, where the veil comes off and you can see the truth and see the reality, that's where freedom is. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Here's how you can tell whether or not you've really unwrapped this gift that's wrapped up in the person of Jesus that God intends for us to live with. When you see the glory of God, you want to be like him. And your life begins to be changed. That's how you can tell whether or not you've really opened this gift. Because when you see him for who he is, you, you so admire how much better he is and how superior he is, that you say, oh, I wish I could be like that. 
And Christ hears that, and the Spirit begins to work in us and begins to change us. And we never get there. We're never perfect, you know, like Jesus. But if you can look back in your life and see where you were and, you know, two years ago, and, and, and you can't say, you know what, I've changed in the last couple of years. God's at work transforming me into a new person, into a more Christ-like person. Then you might ask the question, have I really ever unwrapped the gift that God has given me because it will transform our lives. So the first gift that God wrapped up in the person of Jesus is uh, the fullness of his glory, his deity. You can know the truth about God uh, through the face of Jesus. The second inexpressible gift from God, I think that comes wrapped up uh, in Jesus at Christmas time, is um, that we all uh, gain incredible value. In Jesus. We gain incredible value in Jesus. In Jesus is our ticket out of the kingdom of this world and into the kingdom of God. Uh, Again, I'm back in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, um, he has delivered us, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God, okay, of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Incredible value comes into our life. God shares his resources with us through Christ, if you will. Uh, We're redeemed. We have redemption, which means that God bought us. To redeem something is to buy it. If you go to the store... And uh, you're going to get a Christmas present. You're going to redeem that present from the store. Uh, It means that you buy it. And that's all it means, right? And so um, the Bible tells us, you know, that God redeems us. He pays for us. He values you so much. He wants you to be with him in heaven for all of eternity that he pays to redeem us and to forgive us. And he pays with the person of Jesus. Jesus came into the world to die, as you know. Um, God is uh, really the wealthiest person in the universe, right? Um, Because he owns everything. He owns everyone and everything. And because he created everything. Psalm 100 says, you know, know the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He made us, all right? And so um, Colossians 1, 16 For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things were created through him and um, for him. And so there's one owner of the universe and all the rest of us are trustees. If God created everything and created us, then he owns us, right? And everything And we all become trustees. He's the owner. There's only one owner of the universe. And uh, we are trustees of uh, the life that he's given us, the talents that he's given us, the time that he's given us, the resources that he's given us. And we are trustees for the owner's purposes. We have incredible value that God redeemed us and forgave us and paid the price of his son's death on the cross for us. You know, but he's also given us this privilege of being trustees of what he's entrusted to us. In the Bible, you know, God's wealth is primarily described as his glory. The riches of his glory. You find that 
uh, phrase repeated often or um, uh, the riches of his glory or the, his riches in glory. Uh, again, in Colossians 1 and verse 27, if you have your Bible open there, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, the riches of his glory, uh, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory for you, uh, someday becoming exactly like Christ. And so, you know, God created everything not to create wealth. God created the universe, created the earth and everything that's on it and so forth. He didn't create it to create wealth, but to display his glory. To show how great he is, how cool he is, how awesome he really is. And to give people joy, not so much in the creation, but in himself. He made the creation, everything that's around, you know, not so that he could be wealthy and own all of this stuff. He owned it all before, but so that we could understand how great he is. And enjoy his glory. Every time we um, make it about ourselves instead of him, uh, in essence, the Bible calls that sin. And every time we sin, we create a debt. And we create a separation between us and God, an estrangement. And so to have us back, God redeems us. He pays for us. He forgives our sin. But somebody has to pay. And that's what God's gift to us in Jesus uh, really is. It's sending Jesus to die on the cross and so that all of our sins and offenses can be put on him and that we can be forgiven because he loves us that much. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, again, there's so many different places where God talks about this, but in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. The riches of God's grace. Again, we see that in Jesus. How do we know what God is really like? How do you know that God is willing to deal with you in grace, by grace? Grace is undeserved favor. So many people are striving all their lives to try to earn their way with God. And Jesus comes and says, you know, that's never going to happen. You will never have the peace. I've come in order that you might have that peace, in order that you might have that forgiveness. And I'm coming by God's grace the riches of God's grace. It's that grace that we count on not just for now, but for the future as well. One of the reasons I think that God deals with us in grace, again, it's about his glory. If you look in uh, chapter 2 and verse 7, one of the reasons that God gives us this grace and puts such value on us is because in the coming ages, chapter 2, Ephesians 7, in the coming ages, that God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's where we find kindness from God, in Christ Jesus. Another thing that's wrapped up in Jesus is God's kindness toward us. And we become his trophies. Like someday he's going to put us on display in eternity and point to people like us who deserve absolutely nothing and say, this is what the richness of my grace has produced these people. And put us on display for all of eternity. That why? That angels maybe, I don't know who, can see the glory of God's grace. Again, wrapped up in the person of Jesus. What a gift our salvation is to us. All right, a third uh, issue that I think is undescribable. If you keep unwrapping the gifts that God uh, has intended for us, uh, you'll discover in um, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3, We read these words, 
Um, in Christ, in Jesus, uh, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom, how to live, and knowledge, the truth. In Christ are hidden all the treasures that we need for life. Uh, the wisdom and the knowledge. Now, you remember that Jesus, um, when he was here, he said, I am the truth, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth, Jesus said. And uh, wisdom and knowledge are really about the truth. God is the measure of everything. And so what God thinks is what we want to think. Uh, how God sees is how we want to see. God is absolutely truthful, which makes everything he says and everything he promises uh, reliable. Reliable. And I think this is extremely significant in our day uh, because a lot of people think the truth can't be known. A lot of people think truth is relative and nothing can be known for sure. And God says, why don't you unwrap my Christmas present to you and you will discover all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in the person of Jesus Christ that I sent. You know? uh, in Romans chapter 3, verses uh, 3 and 4, you know, uh, Paul asks this question, you know, what if some people were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everybody else in the world a liar. Let God be true, though everybody else a liar. You and I, I think it's such a tremendous gift to be able to have the truth. The truth about how to live. Uh, the truth about what's right and wrong. Um, to not care about the truth is to not care about God. Would you agree with that? To not care about the truth is to not care about God. People, are, you know, the, the big thing today is tolerance because that's what's politically correct. And so, you know, we're all going to get along and, and nothing, you know, is really worth fighting for. And uh, there is no such thing as truth. You know, it might be true for you, but it's not true for me, and, and so on and so forth. But when you wrap, unwrap the person of Jesus, the treasure of true wisdom and true knowledge comes to us. Jesus said in John 15 and John 16, right before he left to go back to heaven, you know, I'm going to send my spirit, the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is going to come and take up residence in you, and you're going to know the truth. You know, the Bible actually says that the reason that some people uh, will not be in heaven is because they refused to love the truth. They refused to love the truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10, you know. Uh, the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is uh, by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders... And uh, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because why? Because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. To not care about the truth is to not care about God, because God is the truth. And he wrapped it up in the person of Jesus so that as we unwrap and get to know Christ, we discover all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I think lots of people have been deceived uh, today into thinking that truth can't be known. And uh, people have become indifferent to the truth. And uh, this idea that nothing can be known for sure. There is no real wisdom, no real right and wrong. And if you think that way, um, then I say you have yet to unwrap your gift from God at Christmas time. Um, 
All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. The truth is available to us. The wisdom to know how to live and how to make decisions is available to us. You know that when Jesus was here in John chapter 8, he said, you know, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. And he was talking to Jewish people and the Jewish people said, we are free. We are free. We're the chosen people. We've never been enslaved. And I always say, man, short memory. What about Egypt? I think that was a pretty bad enslavement, you know? And Jesus goes on to say that the person who sins is enslaved to sin. They just don't know it. They just don't know it. You know why they don't know it? Because they haven't unwrapped the gift that God has sent to them in the person of Jesus at Christmas time. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You can know the truth, and the truth is what sets you free, you know? And uh, those Jewish people, they said, oh, we're already free. And Jesus says, no, you're blind. You don't get it. Another, uh, another present, if you will, that's wrapped up in the person of Jesus in uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1 and verse... Uh, oh, I'm in the wrong book. Colossians 1 verse 28. No wonder I couldn't find it, right? verse 28 says this, "Um, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity is in Christ. How do you grow up in life? I get these uh, wives every once in a while, you know, having problems in their marriage and they're like, my husband won't grow up. I said, oh, I understand. You know, my husband just won't grow up, you know. And what is maturity? You know, you look at this, our maturity is in Christ. What does it mean to grow up? What does it mean to arrive? What does it mean to find the direction that leads me in the direction of the most satisfaction in life, to become mature, right? Uh, what will prepare me to live in heaven? In Hebrews chapter 5, the author says, you know, by now you ought to be mature, but you're still, you know, drinking milk and cookies and I can't feed you meat. You can't get past the elementary principles of the gospel and move on, you know, to discern right and wrong, you know, having your senses trained by practice and so forth. Maturity in Christ, you can't go wrong if you go in that direction. What does it mean to grow up? Maturity is in Christ. Uh, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions. All things were created through him and for him. Um, And he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. In Christ, everything holds together. When I think about that, I think, you know, that's why he can cure diseases. Because he's the one who holds everything together. That's why he can speak to the wind and the waves and have them obey him. Because all things hold together in him. Right? If you think about this, you know, he can rebuke an unclean spirit and his word carries the force to accomplish what he says. There is no power that's greater than his at the root of everything. is not matter, but the mind of Christ who's holding everything together. Right? If he stops holding everything together, everything flies apart. At the root of everything is not matter. It's the mind of Christ that's holding everything together. Um, Romans uh, 6, 23, 
uh, talks about, you know, uh, eternal life is ours in Christ. What else has God wrapped up in the person of Christ? Uh, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. The gift of eternal life. Only Jesus has the power to give us life on the other side of this life. Only Jesus can give us new life. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, talks about the gift of life. 1 Corinthians 16, 24, talks about the gift of love that's ours in Christ. The Bible says God is love, and, and that's what it's about. Philippians chapter 2, and verse 1, encouragement is in Christ. Philippians 2, 5, attitude is in Christ. Peace is in Christ. Have you unwrapped the gifts that God has put in the person of Jesus Christ? Have you taken the time to not just have Jesus the person, but ask yourself, what has God put inside of Jesus for us? What's in Christ? And let me just conclude with one last uh, verse of scripture. Uh, In Colossians chapter 1 again, um, this is a cool Verse 18, um, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence or supremacy. Some of your Bibles might say. In everything he might be first. And I think, you know, um, the goal that God has is that as, as we accept his gift of Jesus and then begin to unwrap the gifts that he's put within us, we would come to that point where Jesus would be first in everything, in everything. You notice what this verse says. Uh, Jesus is the head of the church, which means, you know, um, that he's the head of each one of us. The church is people. The church isn't, you know, the building. The church is people. And Jesus is the head of the church, and Jesus is the one through whom God gives us his resources. And he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. doesn't mean that he was the first to come back from the dead. It means that he's first in preeminence. And that he's able then to uh, have all of us be resurrected with him. And he's able to make these promises about the afterlife and so forth. Um, you, You remember, all authority has been given unto me, Jesus said, right at the end of his life. And that he would be with us until the end of the, of the age. And his presence would be with us. The resurrection uh, of Jesus you know, secures for us all of the promises that God's made for us uh, for the future. So what's the result of unwrapping this gift of Jesus that God's given us as, in Christmas? Is that in everything he might have preeminence. I think what that means is that the Christian life is not about how we're going to fit God around our life, how we're going to fit the Lord into our lives, but it means how are we going to fit our lives into his life? That the Lord might be first in everything, in every area of our life. And so it's not about how am I going to get the Lord to fit into my life where I want him and so forth, but how am I going to conform to his life? How am I going to fit around his life? Because... He is preeminent in our lives when we begin to appreciate all that God has wrapped up in the person of Christ. And I feel I'm not doing justice to this subject because, as I said, if you take a concordance, you can just go through and you can find tons of verses that have all kinds of other uh, gifts that God has put in the person of Jesus for us to enjoy. 
both now and for eternity. But these are such rich gifts. They're inexpressible, aren't they? It's hard to explain what that means. What does it mean to you that God has revealed himself to you in Jesus Christ? What does that mean to you? What does it mean to you that God has reached down and allowed his son to die in your place so that you could be totally forgiven and someday spend eternity in heaven? What does that mean to you? It's inexpressible. It's better than any gift you could ever get from anybody. It makes all of our gifts from this earth kind of puny and kind of, they're cool and it's great and it's nice and, and they're all there for us to enjoy. You know, there's other parts of the Bible that talk about that. But compared to what God has given us in Christ, oh my goodness. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Even though it's inexpressible, the Bible instructs us to give thanks to him. And that's really what worship is, isn't it? We come together to give thanks to God for his inexpressible gifts that he's given to us wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the Bible, for your word, because, uh, you know, when we think about it, it really is inexpressible. It's hard for us to explain what it means to, to know that we can know the God of the universe through Jesus. We're so thankful that you revealed yourself to us. So many of our friends and our family just speculate. So many of our friends have ideas about you that are just coming from you know, empty traditions. Well, that's the way my mother thought, so that's the way I think, and stuff like that. And here you've wrapped yourself up in Jesus so that we could have a true understanding of, of what you're really like. And so many just leave you wrapped up. And then, Father, this great salvation that you've provided for us, how thankful, how inexpressible it is that by your grace... You would forgive us. We don't deserve it. But you choose, Father, to relate to us by grace. What a gift. And then, Father, you put in Jesus all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge so that we can know how to live, so that we can make choices. Even though the whole world is going left, we can go right and have confidence to know, Father, that this is the truth and this is how you are. Uh, the, the gifts that you've given to us in Jesus really are inexpressible. And so help us, Heavenly Father, to appreciate and to value and to worship you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And help us to enjoy Jesus in 2016 more than we have in 2015. Help us to exalt him. Help us to enjoy the glory that you've revealed through him about yourself. And help us, Father, to be ambassadors of that glory that we would be sharing with the people around us all that we do understand and all that we have benefited uh, from being Christians and opening that gift and accepting that gift of Jesus that you've given to us at Christmas. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.